Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 47. I'm Rob Wright, editor of Search Security, and I'm here with my site editor, Peter Lotion. Peter, welcome. Hi, Rob. How's it going on this fine Friday? It's great. I mean, it's snowing out. It's... <laughs> Well, this it is, is still March. Yeah, March 31st. English. This is great. Yes. Well, today we are talking about, we're, this is kind of a roundup of a big ticket item, a big ticket topic, I should say. And that is the topic of encryption and the crypto wars, the ongoing crypto wars that are happening, not just in the U.S., but across the country. And we'll get into some of the other places and some of the other goings on with encryption in other countries uh, across the pond, as they say. But I guess we'll start with the discussions around FBI Director James Comey and some of the things that he's been saying about encryption yet again. So Peter, he talked recently, I believe it was the University of Austin, or University of Texas at Austin, my uh, apologies, talking about national security and technology and counterterrorism, and he started the going dark uh, topic, started that up again, talked about how, what a threat end-to-end encryption was. And we've heard this before. How many times have we heard it before? Quite a bit over the last couple of years, I guess. 20 or so years? 20 or so years. I mean, yeah, you're, if you're going back to like the clipper chip and- I am. Well- Because it's the same argument. Yes, you you are quite familiar with that. You were you were in the industry, whereas I just I was in, I think I was in college. I was reading about stuff like this. wasn't quite in it yet. I'm refraining from making a condescending <laughs> remark, but um, because it's not nice. And no, it's not should, nice. Yeah, but but yeah, no, twenty year twenty, just twenty mid nineties. So yep. that's twenty years or so ago. We were talking about. We had the FBI telling us that encryption was going to protect the bad guys and keep the good guys from prosecuting them. But it had it, it hasn't stopped people from getting into trouble for breaking the law, has no, it? No, it really hasn't. It really hasn't. But, but I, I, mean, I guess it's taken on a new dimension because, I mean, at the, at the time that that happened, and again, you know, hey, I'm class of 97. I wasn't... Uh, Sorry, I wasn't doing much around, uh, you know, the clipper chip and, and stuff. Uh, you know, I was in college. Uh, but, you know, back then, this type of encryption was not available to, or I, I shouldn't say the, the encryption was available to, I guess, whoever wanted to use it. It was, it was the technology was not, like, you know, like people didn't have smartphones. People did not have... Uh, high-powered computers or mobile devices that they were using to encrypt communication. So you you could you could do it, but it it took some doing. Whereas now you can just go and get your WhatsApp or your Signal app or really anything out there, your your home brewed crypto, and slap it together and start doing what you want to be doing. Well, but don't forget, while individual. Individuals could encrypt messages or files or whatever using something like PGP. Yep. Or uh, there were a few other things that were around that. Sure, sure. But but 1994 was when Mozilla came out. Yep. You, you know, we're, that's a lot of people take that as the birth of the internet, or actually the web. 
but not really. But, Netscape. But yeah, Netscape. Netscape yeah. came along. Um, exactly, Netscape. wasn't 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 Mozilla then. Netscape came along and said, "Here, here's SSL. Everything you do on the internet can be encrypted if you're using our browser and our yeah and our server yeah. and and or our protocols, which are open, sure, um, to be used, but not to you know." Anyway, that's a long, another long story. But the, th the fact is that there were a lot of things that you could do that were encrypted, um, but not like there, you're right, not like there is today. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, there's a big awareness because there's this b been this big surge in encrypted text messaging, encrypted uh, voice co communication, you know, making it more accessible and more easy to use. But hey, you can look at the same sort of uh, graph of growth of of a new technology being used for crime in any new technology. Yeah. And when you know, maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but when when people say, "Hey, this new technology," and fill in the blank, you can say encryption, or you can say computers, telephones. or telephones, cars, guns, cars. We, we want to deny the criminals. Well, let's not talk about guns quite yet, because that's that's actually different yeah. in a way. But but yeah, like any of these new technologies are available for everyone to use, including bad people. Yeah, and if you. I mean, there's some things that we can do to limit the use of things like cars or telephones by bad people, sure. by, you know, restrictions or licensing or any number of other things. With encryption, nobody's going to take out a license to be able to use encryption as right. an individual, right? right? Well, no, I mean, nothing stops a criminal from getting in a car, whether he has a license or not, too. Exactly. I mean, there's even less stopping a criminal from getting in Because they probably know how to hotwire. Right. Right. Can, can can people still do that? I, I have no idea. I'm I'm sort of an uh, automotive novice. I don't know if the way cars are designed today, if you can hotwire as easily as, as you could. And you, I watch a lot of action movies. Right. You know. Well, and they always made it seem like it was really easy. You just reach under the dashboard and zzz, and you're off and running. Right. Or stick a stick a, a screwdriver screw yeah, yeah. into the yeah, right. Of course. Um, yeah. I think I think the movies may simplify things, but. But yeah, and and it used to be in the olden days with a manual transmission car, you could you could get it to roll and pop it, pop the clutch somehow, and oh. it will start the car. I don't think I think a lot of those things have been disabled. Okay, well that's good news. So well, but, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, let's talk about encryption. But to your point about about how broad the usage is today, I think that's what he's. He, he has talked about and what he recently talked about at uh, University of Texas. And I, I want to read one of the choice quotes here and, and we'll get into sort of the response because I think that's where this debate, this issue gets really interesting. This is what he said at the college. Quote, I love encryption. I love privacy on the internet. I have an Instagram account. Okay. Uh, I have nine <laughs> followers and they're all related to me. Okay, first of all, let's just stop there real quick. Uh, obviously, I think it was Gizmodo did the story where they they doxed him. They, yeah, they basically found his Twitter account and his his I guess his Instagram account too because they found the people that he was related to, and found you know started looking through the accounts that these people were connected to and found one that sort of stood out and had only nine or ten followers and you know lo and behold it's looking pretty likely like it was his. 
uh, bad opsec there, uh, Jim. I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say those things out in public and sort of let people know that you're even online if you don't want people looking at that stuff. But anyways, um, he says uh, uh, they're all related to me and one daughter's serious boyfriend. And because it's serious enough now, and I finally accepted his request, and I post pictures, and I don't want anybody else looking at that. Okay, <laughs> that's nice that you don't want anybody else looking at it, but they can. Uh, I treasure my privacy, but I also have another obligation given my job. It's to protect innocent people from bad things. The two things that we all love, privacy and public safety, are crashing into each other. End quote. Now, he, go, he went on to say a lot of things, and one thing in particular, I think he has, he has said this before, is he kind of took the technology industry to task and basically said, you know, there's there's no such thing as absolute privacy and there's got to be a solution. And I don't believe I'm paraphrasing here because there's there's sort of a lot to unpack. He said he doesn't believe that there's no that, 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 that the technology industry has really tried to find a solution. And he said, I don't believe it's impossible. I don't believe it's impossible. There's got to be a way. You guys just haven't tried hard enough. So Mike Keller, our senior reporter, did a story, a uh, very thorough story, in-depth story about, well, let's take a look at these claims. You know, can something like key escrow work? Have we really researched it? And it turns out, you know, Mike went out and contacted some, some, some of the foremost experts in, in encryption, uh, including Matthew Green, computer science professor at Johns Hopkins uh, University. And I learned a lot of stuff in this article. It turns out there has been quite a bit of research into this stuff. Right from the 90s. Yeah, from the 90s. In the well, early, dating the back, early, if right. we can make a call back to earlier in the episode, <laughs> the, the Clipper chip. Which, which I got to be honest, some of this stuff I didn't even know, which was, it was fascinating. I mean, it, I, there was some sort of interesting tidbits about stuff that was tried over the years and different ways of implementing a key escrow and basically holding a, like a, like a, like a, a master key or something. And like the law enforcement could only get it if they had a warrant or something like that. And, and, and you're right. This is stuff that we've been through before that there have been numerous research papers and numerous studies and numerous attempts to sort of find a way to, okay, you have end to end encryption, but there's this other little thing over here that you maybe could do in case of emergency. Peter, what are your feelings on, I mean, to me, that's like, it, it's not end-to-end -end encryption if there's, if there's a, a, a third party out there that can just, you know, in whatever circumstances, legal or otherwise, pick something up, you know, that's been designed to use and say, I'm gonna plug this in and now I've got the data too. That's not end-to-end -end encryption. I mean, well, that's, I think that's fairly obvious. Yeah, I, I mean, you can you can encrypt end to end, but as long but as soon as you start adding in a backdoor, uh, you know, and, that, and that's shorthand for saying, okay, we'll have this. We'll, we'll go to Fort Knox and we'll build the world's most secure uh, repository for the the escrowed keys that will give access to anyone. Sure, sure, and that's fine. As long as you know you can, let's say that you can encase that and lose sight and have no way to get in or out. But if there's somebody inside, or if there's some way to access the data inside, you're always going to have an insider threat. There's always going to, there, in fact, that's going to amplify the insider threat because whoever holds the key 
to get into those those uh, super power keys, that per those per people, those entities are going to be under severe, under way more pressure than um, than the the, techno the technical solutions. Yeah. And that's the thing: the the solution to this problem is not a technical one. There's so, in other words, is telling the technical people, "Hey, come up with a great idea for us to solve this political or social or cultural problem," and the technical people can. They can work on it, but they're, you know, it's like telling a plumber to fix your uh, your kitchen design. I yeah. don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they know something about kitchen design. It's not that's not the kind of intractable problem though that we're looking at here. Right. We're looking at people to come in and cut wood with hammers. Yeah, uh, that's a or, good analogy. Or cut wood with computers, even because because it's just it's a totally different domains. So yeah, that's long story short. That's my my feeling about how that goes. And that's what, what came up at the end of uh, the, the clipper chip wars, the, the you know, crypto wars num number one. Yeah, the first one. Crypto war one, yeah. Um, was that they they built this protocol and they built these chips and, and within a very short time after the stuff came out, people came up and, and said, hey, here are the flaws, here are some bugs, here are some, Great. Uh, some cracks. So, yeah, it's. I I think and and, and interestingly on the, uh, given that this morning we f we heard that there's another WikiLeaks dump of data about oh, yeah. by the CIA. Some one of the informant one of the good positive aspects of of uh, previous WikiLeaks dumps that uh, about the CIA's methods is that they still can get the data, the information, but they have to do it by using. Uh, not by bypassing the protections of the encryption, yeah, not cracking the app, cracking or the, phone. the crypto, but or, getting on, getting rooting the phone, right? Or you know, hey, here's another idea: planting bugs on people, putting in undercover agents. Those are all. Those are those are hard exactly. to do. Yeah. Um, and one other point that I want to make about this whole backdoor stuff: backdoors are only going to help you if you've got the data, or oh. if you're if you're surveilling everybody yeah. because if you if you tell me that, oh there's a, this is this is the where I first heard the ticking time bomb scenario was yeah. 20 years ago when they said oh ticking time bomb um, well, I guess that was for torture too but but if you want to have quick access to this stuff you have to have it yeah. have, you have to have the, the, the encrypted or the, the ciphertext yeah because if you don't have the ciphertext if you're not monitoring the people that are using these these messaging apps, then you're not going to be able to decrypt it. Whereas if you have operatives that are uh, working undercover, if you have people that are planting bugs, and and you know our intelligence community is pretty good at doing these kinds of activities. Sure. That's, that's what they've been doing for a hundred years, yeah, or longer. Is is using human intelligence rather than signals intelligence or cyber intelligence. So yeah, um, so yeah, I I mean, I. I appreciate that Director Comey is in favor of strong encryption and he likes privacy and those things, but I don't. I think he's misguided if he thinks that there's going to be a way to implement this stuff. Well, not and only that, but you know, just to, to two quick points to to your, you know, what you said. I mean, you mentioned WikiLeaks. Let's say they come up with a key. Like, let's say they come up with a magical way to. There, there's some type of key escrow system where the government has 
a, a second set of keys. Uh, if the CIA cannot keep its hacking tools under wraps, you know, I mean, we, we went back to this with the FBI and, the, and the, the, the hacking tool that they wanted Apple to develop. What, what gives us any confidence that they can keep those things secure? So you're telling me I'm supposed to be confident that if I give, you know, uh, encryption keys to the FBI, that they're going to hold them in escrow and they're, they're going to be safe? I don't know. No, 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 no. Exactly. Not safe. Exactly. I, I mean, how often do you see a news story about a law enforcement officer or someone working in a, with access to, to private data who uses it? I mean, there's even a word for it of uh, when you do the cyber stalking of your romantic rivals oh. police databases. Yeah, standard operating procedure. For, no, no, for, no. for law enforcement? No, no. I don't mean to disparage law, law yeah, enforcement, but let's let's be honest. There's been a, a lot of stuff that's emerged in well, recent years about abuses. Yeah. I mean, there was one, I think, in the last week or so of a, a – I, I don't want to go – I don't want to say details because I don't know them, but but these things come up a lot. Yeah. Pe- people with access to this data, um, people who should be highly vetted and highly trustable uh, – law enforcement, FBI agents who still abuse their privilege, yep, their, yep. their access. And, and you might accidentally expose it, too. I mean, you know, there's 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 insider threats and there's accidental insider threats. And, and having that much, you know, if we were to go with a system that was uh, sort of a key escrow approach where the FBI was to hold on to third-party keys for for what to happen, signal, and, and they can only, you know, to use them, like I said, you, you had to go through a court order and a warrant, and then and then you go to the provider, and then they, they say, oh, sure, waltz right in. I mean, still, you don't know, you, there's no, there's very low confidence, at least for me, that those aren't going to be abused. And, and that you're not going to have cases where, I mean, if, we, if, if there's wiretapping and there's surveillance without warrants, and that's been going on for years, why do we think that, they would only use those keys for surveillance and for for quarters that, where they actually have a warrant, like that it won't be abused, like other things have be, been abused. So, and you know, you you talked about how it, how it's not really a, a technology problem. I want to read something that uh, that Matthew Green wrote uh, in response to Mike Keller's questions for the article that he wrote. Because it, it really encapsulated, I think, the, the issue here. And this is what Green wrote, and I'll quote it. I hope it goes without saying that I disagree with Comey's claim that academic industry and government cryptographers have not explored the problem of creating lawful access backdoors to encryption protocols. This is not true. Indeed, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of different works that explore some aspect of this problem, either constructively, meaning by proposing some solution, or destructively, meaning that they find flaws in the previous proposal. The real problem here is that mostly is that it's mostly not a technical cryptographic one. When it comes to building key escrow systems, there are dozens of possible solutions, essentially as many as there are ways to encrypt. The problems are not in the crypto. The, they boil down to four different non-cryptographic areas, and he goes on to outline them, and he basically says, 
uh, system implement implementation, that's number one, no matter how well we design the cryptography on a whiteboard or in a specification, someone will imp implement it as software and they will probably make a mistake. That's a great point. Um, key storage is another area, human factors, like we were just talking about. Lawmakers like to say things like decryption only with a court order. Uh, the fact of the matter is that a court order is just a piece of paper, he writes. It contains no cryptographic magic. Thus, the difference between a legitimate warranted decryption request and an invalid forged one often depends on who signs the paper or who enters the commands into a terminal. No cryptography can save you if, uh, for example, an ADA forges a wiretap order, just like I was saying, or if the terminal is compromised. I hadn't even thought of the terminal part until he wrote it. And then in the last point was, he talks about uncertain design requirements. He's, and basically law enforcement, he writes, law enforcement is not entirely clear on what they want. Do they want prospective access? Like you were saying, Peter, uh, meaning that a warrant is issued and only then can wiretapping start? Or do they want retrospective access, meaning that past messages can be decrypted as well? These are all very important questions. This is me now. Talking. <laughs> These are all very important questions, and it, it, I, I encourage uh, any listeners to uh, check out Mike's article and also to read the full um, the full transcription of uh, of uh, Matthew Green's uh, uh, points here because they're they're well worth reading. It's uh, it's a it's it, it's not very long, but it's um, it's very detailed and it's a very good read. Yeah. So. Well, and. Okay, so I'm going to just do a shout out to sure. David Chom. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. Who came up with a, with a proposal a, a little over a year ago, if mm -hmm. I remember correctly. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, was, I had the uh, privilege of talking to him about it a little bit, and um, it sounded really interesting. It sounded like, a, you know, it was a proposal that would have allowed people to have on anonymity as long as they didn't. Uh, uh, it was protected until somebody decided that they needed to get access right, to their data. Right. And then there was like a federation, a committee of, of countries or entities that would hold the keys and only by having all of those agree to unlock data, then you could unlock the data. Complicated. Very it, complicated. I mean, even simple things, simple, I'm using the air quotes again. I, I see your air quotes. You, you do, but, but <laughs> no one else can. But the, the so-called simple uh, TLS, transport layer protocol uh, uh, security, I mean, that's what protects our web data, right? Yeah, theoretically. Well, and it does, but you know, we've seen all of the reasons that, that uh, Matthew Green gave. Uh, implementations are off, protocols sometimes are specified improperly and need to be corrected. Yep. Um, People don't update their software. There's other ways to get into the data, like with um, uh, key, uh, uh, key loggers, for example, or, or, or uh, uh, subverting a terminal. Yep. Um, all of those things can can throw a, a monkey wrench in. And then when you say, okay, well, we solved that problem. Now let's now let's allow third-party access. And that's why I, uh, we talked about this the other day. Um, at IETF 98, there's a right. brouhaha over uh, something called multi-context TLS, which is uh, breaking TLS 
to allow <laughs> middle boxes to in inspect and, and do whatever they want with the data before they re-encrypt it and set it on a lawn. That's great. So, so it's a great uh, idea. A, a lot of the uproar is over the fact that, hey, we haven't we haven't figured out TLS yet, and let's not go breaking. <laughs> and and the definition of TLS is end to end yeah. encryption. So if you have a third party get being able to break into it, then then it's by definition broken. So yeah. I mean that's the thing. We haven't even to your point. We haven't even figured out how to do. Like. It, we haven't even figured out how to do TLS and, and, and you know, web tra traffic encryption and, and website encryption. Like, we're still struggling with this. And here the FBI is coming in and saying, well, why haven't you figured out how to grant, you know, lawful third-party access to end-to-end -end encryption? Well, duh. <laughs> like, this stuff is hard enough as it is just to figure out how to do TLS without breaking it. I mean, right. Oh, and and don't let's not even get started on certificates. Oh, and no, certificate we're not going to do it. No, that, that was last. That week. was last week, Peter. Right. Let's not let's not go there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we we should probably talk about some of the the other goings on. Uh, I mentioned that at the top of the episode, we you know there was other stuff going on around encryption and going dark in other countries. And Peter, you just wrote something on the EU. In the middle of writing. In the middle of writing, I apologize. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Vera Jourova, who's a, um, I believe she's a member of the European Commission. That's right. I, I, I get to follow her on Twitter because she's always, you know, her, her beat is GDPR, privacy, data privacy, GDPR, mm. encryption, things like that. She came out earlier this week and was talk, talking about the need to get access to some of this data. And she said, we're in June, we're going to come back and offer three or four different options for access. And it could be anywhere from, hey, this is, we want you to voluntarily share. Do it, so no end-to-end -end encryption for users. Well, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the unclear part. Um, or that's at one end, and at the other end of the spectrum, they could, she's saying that they're gonna consider legislating access. Yeah. So they don't say backdoor. They don't say uh, decrypting private data. But but the assumption is that that's what they mean. And to some extent, some of this is is uh, uh, more regulatory kind of you know paperwork kind of thing because sure. they need to have regulations on how if you're running an investigation in Germany, let's say, and somebody in um, uh, say France has some data then you've got to coordinate and and and, and they need a formal way to, to access some of those some of that right data. and how, how does that square with with um i mean i i, I know it's 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 not completely contradictory in, in legal terms and technical terms but i don't know how that squares with the european unions with, with gdpr and things like hey we're pro privacy where we want to protect user data we want to protect user data from the u.s i mean that was a big part of why you privacy know, things shield. fell apart with, um, with with Safe Harbor and then Privacy Shield. Well, now, now the European Union is just, to me, it feels like you're just turning around and saying, well, we don't want other countries to ha or nations to have it outside of the EU, EU, but we definitely want to break encryption ourselves. Well, uh, that's, yeah, it's, that's I'm, not going to fly. You're right. I mean, and having just written about GDPR. Yeah. Um, there was there was there was definitely some uh, 
disharmony between the two messages. Yeah. Um, I suspect that by June we'll get some more clarity yeah. about what actually um, the EU and the EC are calling for as far as uh, gaining access to this encrypted messaging data. Uh, let's see, last August, the French and German foreign, um, interior ministers, both of them were calling for breaking encrypt backdoors. Yeah. Um, the UK, I believe there was a there was a, a change of position. Yeah, just yeah. I was just gonna I was just gonna go to that. So uh, obviously there was a there was a, an attack at Westminster. I think it was uh, earlier in the month, uh, March twenty second. And the Home Secretary, Amber Rudd, had come out uh, soon after the attack. A lot of politicians in the UK had come out after the attack and said, enough's enough. You know, we can't have end-to-end -end encryption anymore. We can't allow terrorists to use things like WhatsApp and, and uh, have sort of secretive, secretive places that they can communicate on and, and, not, and we can't have access to. And apparently, uh, a week later, uh, Rudd sort of backed down on that assertion that, that an, an encryption needs to go. I don't know what sort of changed the conversation. I don't know what led to the change of heart. It, it's not entirely clear to me, um, but uh, Warwick Ashford, our uh, colleague at, at Computer Weekly over in the UK, wrote, wrote a story about it, and it's online at Computer Weekly. Anyone wants to, to, to check it out and read more about, about this, but it it, it, it is. It, it's like a it's like a push and pull, a, a tug of war. Every time there is an incident, an attack, or or some type of report about, you know, terrorists are using this. We can't we can't You know, we can't get to these communications. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they're planning. Uh, this this issue pops up, and it it gets thrust forward. And there's the threat of legislation and the threat of new sort of lawful measures. And then for whatever reason, it gets it seems to to, to get thrown back in the other direction, privacy advocates and, and uh, technologists and cryptographers like Matthew Green come in and say, you know, if you do that, you're breaking encryption completely and there is no sort of uh, use for it. So I don't know where it's going to go next. I, I, I suspect, here's my prediction, quick prediction as we sort of wrap up this this podcast, I think there is going to be real movement on this uh, this this topic and this type of proposal in the U.S. in Congress in the next eh, year or so. Sometime before you know the 2018 midterms, it may even be a 2018 midterm uh, election issue. Who knows? But I think that there is real movement within the Republican-controlled Congress. And obviously, the administration, current administration, to to get something in place, to to get real traction or, or you know legislation, let's say, on this topic. I hope that's not the case. I don't foresee it being implemented correctly, but I don't know. What do you? Are you as pessimistic as I am, Peter? Well, do you think this is coming? So, yeah, like twenty years ago, the the, the message from the people who wanted backdoors into encryption was basically, hey, nerds, you need to work on this problem of giving us backdoors. Right. You're not, you're not working hard enough. And the message may be a little bit more subtle this time around, yeah. but 
But they're ba basically, it sounds like, and, and this has been a talking point for um, Director Comey for a while. I mean, yeah, he, he said more or less the same stuff when he, he talked at BC earlier yeah. earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, uh, but the message is, hey, nerds, you're not working hard enough. You're just trying to make money for yourselves. Instead of that, you should try to do something to make the world better by allowing us to access any data that's ever been encrypted. And the what happened 20 years ago with the clipper chip, I mean, there were, there were clipper chips built, made, and yeah. fabricated. There was a protocol. Sure, um, sure. Uh, uh, um, EES, I think, was the acronym. I can't recall. but Again, I was in college. So. Well, yeah, but I, <laughs> I, I was looking it up the other day, so yeah. I, that's how I remember okay. that. But... Uh, but yeah, so so they they implemented things, and they just didn't work, and yeah. nobody wanted to buy them. Why would why would I buy pay five dollars more for a for a product that has a chip in it that well, the is broken? Order. Yeah, it yeah. I mean it's it's ridiculous. So I I think ultimately the same result will come uh, because well we'll probably see some laws and companies will say hey we can't do this. Um, People will probably stick with old software, or build their own, or somebody from another country, like maybe Venezuela or Cuba, yeah, yeah. or someplace where you know they'll release it out into the wild, and mm. and people will have access to encryption if they want to until it's outlawed. Until it's outlawed, and then only outlaws will have access. Oh, to it. full circle. <laughs> Clipper chip two or illegal homebrew crypto, right? Oh. That's a perish the thought. Yep. Well, exactly. I we'll find out. We'll find out. I, I guess that wraps up the conversation on encryption for now. Uh, Peter, thank you for joining me and providing some historical context and some <laughs> technical expertise on the matter. Appreciate it. Always good to be here. And thanks to all the readers and listeners out there. Uh, I'm Rob Wright, and thank you for listening to this episode of Risk and Repeat. We will see you next time.